0: for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Today's episode of Pod and Prejudice is sponsored by Story Brewers Role Playing. Story Brewers lovingly creates role playing games with narrative heart, particularly of interest to all of you, They've created Good Society, an award-winning Jane Austen tabletop role-playing game that seeks to capture the heart and countenance of Austen's works. In the game, you play the type of characters that captured your imagination in Austen's works and tell your own Regency story with your friends. And the best part? The game is on Kickstarter until the end of today. That's Tuesday, March 9th. We're including the link to their Kickstarter in the show notes, so check that out and be sure to back their reprint to secure your copy of the game. If you're listening to this after March 9th, you can also pre-order the game on their website at storybrewersroleplaying.com. While you're there, you can check out all the other great stuff they have to offer. You can also follow them on Twitter at Story Brewers. We're especially excited to be partnering with Story Brewers because, drumroll please, we are going to play play Good Society as a bonus series for our pod squad level patrons. We don't have an exact release date on that yet, but stay tuned for more announcements about it. We can't wait to share it with you. Speaking of Patreon, we want to thank our newest patron, Lindsay. Welcome to the team. And a special shout out to our patron Jade, who upgraded their pledge. Today is our last episode of season one. Next episode, we'll be covering the first three chapters of Sense and Sensibility. To celebrate our season two launch, we'll be hosting a special patron-only live stream on Friday, March 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you want to be like Lindsay and Jade and get access to that live stream, head on over to patreon.com slash podandprejudice and sign up to be an estate or pod squad level patron. And now, enjoy our season finale, covering the final part of the 2005 adaptation of Pride and Prejudice with our guest, Robin Jordan.
1: Here's a real question:
0: Which uh, which
1: guy for Rory? Before we get back into Pride and Prejudice*. Ooh. Listen,
0: Rory has terrible taste in men, right? So Lorelai has awesome taste in men. Honestly, all of her boyfriends are fine. I love Max Medina. Minus Christopher. I like Christopher. I do. I, I hated mean, Christopher. If you watch it again now, I think you'll feel differently because when I was young, I was like Luke's the only man for her. Now I'm like actually Molly. I watched it like three years ago. All right. <laughs> well. <laughs> in any event um for Rory I am a Logan girl
2: so someone I'm gonna I'll send it to you in DMs but someone had did like a thing about what the characters in Gilmore Girls would be like now and like they split Rory into two and it was so like spot on because it's like Rory seasons one through four and then Rory five through seven (laughs) and so Rory one through four one through three is like Jess yes Jess they just like belong together they would make a really good match Rory post Yale, Logan, because yikes. Yeah. But also the whole Yale thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, my take was that I hate every
0: guy that Rory dates on that show, and all of them are bad. Dean. When I was a horny teen, it was Milo Amelia all the way. Jess was the best. I thought that he was such a cool character. However, he is, he and Dean, the reason that I'm a Logan girl is ultimately because Dean and Jess are so possessive over Rory and have such issues with their masculinity. They're they're like we have to fight each other I don't think Logan ever punches anyone over her. I don't think he ever stalked her to another section of the state. Um, He just, like, wants to hang out. And, like, yeah, he has some commitment issues at the beginning, but once he gets over those, he's actually a really good boyfriend. And we should probably talk about Jane Austen. Last thing I want to
1: throw in, in defense of Jess over Logan, because if I had to pick for Rory, I would pick Jess as an adult who watched it. Not when she dates him on the show. No guy she dates during the show, is good. But I would argue that Jess matures the best.
2: Yes! When she goes to see him at the bookstore and he's like, what are you doing? Like, he's the only one that calls her out. You're right. Exactly. And, like, forces her to, like, really reckon with, like, who she's become. And he's like, that's not who you are. And I do think that, like, yeah, Jess was, like, fighting and possessive a little bit over... But I don't think he was possessive over Rory so much as he was like, you don't like Dean. Like, you're just comfortable with Dean. But he's not the guy for you, he doesn't challenge you, and it's annoying, and I'm going to force you to, like, reckon with the fact that you do like me, which is a shitty bratty thing to do, but, like... Yeah, but, like,
1: the problem I had with that is that he wasn't even the best boyfriend, like, when he finally got her. He was, like, really bad to her, which, like, I would have been on board with him if he had just been a good boyfriend (laughs) when he got her. Yeah,
2: he was a terrible boyfriend.
0: (laughs) This is Becca. This is Molly. We're here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here to finish Pride and Prejudice, specifically the 2005 version, but also the whole version. This is
1: the last little bit of a Pride and Prejudice
0: thing that we're going to do for a while. We are here again today with Robin Jordan from Black Girls Create. How's it going, Robin?
2: I'm here. I'm still upset about this movie. Let's go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Let's talk about the final just completely bonkers last bit of this movie. We get Lady Catherine de Bourgh in the middle of the night. We're going to get there. But this part of the movie is absurd. We get walking robe fog. It's fine. Let's let's go. Ugh. Yeah. So where we left off was the absolute travesty that was this part of the movie at Pemberley. And now we come back and Mrs. Bennett is in her sick bed. And I actually really liked this Mrs. Bennett's performance. I thought that she was like really heartbroken. However, like we've talked about, they really diminished the economics, the economics of dating in Jane Austen in this movie. They made her sad that Lydia ran away not that she ran away to elope they didn't really specify why she's sad she's just upset that Lydia is missing however she did have like mom sadness which I appreciated
1: yeah that's entirely accurate but the thing that's bothersome here is that they kind of skip how bad this is yeah yeah
2: it also one of the things as a kid again I am team Mr. and Mrs. Bennett are the villains is that in the original in the book she's very upset because she's like there's no way Lydia would never do this and then she's blaming every other person like she blames the foresters she blames Wickham she blames like and she insists that it's a misunderstanding and she doesn't she just doesn't take any responsibility for the fact that she raised a daughter who would do something like this. And they don't talk about that at all in this. It's just like, oh, she's crying because Lydia's gone and disappeared.
0: Yeah, they really diminish this plot line in this version. Also, the timing doesn't work out here. So while she's wailing, a letter arrives for Mr. Bennett from Mr. Gardner. And the girls run outside with the letter as Mr. Bennett arrives back from London. Therefore, Mr. Gardner would have had to find Wickham and... Arrange this whole thing with the money and Mr. Darcy, literally the moment Mr. Bennet left or before, but they were together because Mr. Bennet arrives at the same time as the letter, which like the letter also comes on horseback. So it doesn't make sense at all. Yeah. It's that Game of Thrones thing where uh,
1: the transportation just doesn't happen. Right. In the old-timey stuff.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, it just, it's teleported there, obviously. Yeah, but it also goes back to the fact that, like, in the previous scene, Darcy, like, says the whole thing in front of the gardener, so you do have kind of, I guess you could make the leap that they do leave together, or Darcy gets a head start and Mr. Gardner meets him there, and then they search for Wickham together
0: oh
1: and
2: he's just in the know the whole time so it's not the like
1: robin are you defending this movie (laughs) ew no
2: (laughs) gross i am saying (laughs) ew yeah a little bit i'm just saying that like that's the only way it makes sense. So that's how I understood it to happen. Okay,
0: okay. So it would be like as if they had never met up with Mr. Bennett in town. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from with that.
2: And in the book, it feels like Darcy leaves and doesn't say anything to anyone. So Mr. Gartner and Mr. Bennett are together searching for Wickham, but they have no clue. Meanwhile, Darcy has like an inside line because he's already done this like not that long ago, actually, less than a year ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, to find Wickham and so he's doing that on his own and in silence and then he only comes to Mr. Gardner once he's found Wickham and once he's basically made all the preparations for them to marry and says and tells Mr. Gardner this is what it is like this is how it's going to be and you should you know take credit for it but this is happening yeah this version it seems like Gardner and Darcy are in it together
0: yeah mm-hmm. that does make sense ew <laughs> <laughs> so once he receives the letter all the girls are there for the conversation about how Mr. Gardner must have given out a lot of money and this is where Mary's wearing her cottagecore lesbian apron by the way for any listeners who want to check that out and take screenshots for their scrapbooks or or something this movie has a lot of beautiful
1: aesthetics but really that one is the most accurate to what I wanted to see in the book and didn't <laughs> yeah yeah There are
0: also dogs I wrote dogs. Becca said, indeed.
2: The dogs make me really upset because I love, love that there are dogs. But where were they before? Why didn't we get him chasing a dog instead of pig balls? Like... (laughs) Yes. I love yes. that the pig balls come up without any
1: of us breaking it up because we had like a 15 to 20 minute conversation about just those testicles. Why?
0: <laughs> but in any case. But it's so true that we should have had dogs instead because the dogs make sense, whereas the pig balls don't.
2: Exactly. But
0: then you all lose the opportunity for the pig balls. But yeah, go on. Yes. So then we get jump up to Mrs. Bennett. She rises from the dead. Lydia's getting married. I have to go tell the world. Lizzie's like, Oh my God, is this all you're gonna ever think about? And she says, When you have five daughters, tell me what else will occupy your thoughts and then you will understand, which is an encapsulation of of everything about her character that to this point they've kind of left
2: out. But also makes her feel really sympathetic in a way that is like wrong. And Yes, she should be worried. Like I talked about this in the last episode. She should be worried about the status of her five daughters, but she should also be focused on making sure that they get husbands in the correct way, that they are properly brought up, that they have a moral center and a compass, but she didn't have those things. And she came from a middle-class family and she married up and then he checked out. So yes, it makes sense. But also like, ill no, that's not, this is not the way you get husbands. My favorite line. In Pride and Prejudice. I don't particularly like your way of getting husbands.
0: Oh, I love that. And I loved that moment in the 1995 where Wickham is like running around on a horse and Mm -hmm. Lydia and Lizzie are walking. And Lizzie's like, well, I don't particularly like your method of getting husbands. Oh, iconic. I've never understood this whole thing with Mrs. Bennett suddenly being happy because Wickham is not a good option for Lydia. He's poor. He's going to be far away. It just doesn't make sense that she's happy. I don't think she's thinking about it. All t-
1: clearly, she's just kind of checking the box. Oh, one's married off. Oh, my youngest is married off. What an accomplishment. Yeah. She's not the smartest lady.
2: <laughs> she's not the smartest lady at all. And in reality, Wickham marries up. Lydia marries down. Oh, yeah. But... Lydia shouldn't have even been thinking about being married. She's 15.
0: Right. I was going to say, is is it an accomplishment in the eyes of the accomplished people of the world? Because Lady Catherine de Bourgh was like, all five of your sisters are out at once. Like even the 15 year olds, that's weird. So I feel like she should be a little embarrassed.
2: Yeah. It's part of the fact that like you have to remember that she comes from a middle class upbringing. And so she doesn't have the same like social structures and things like, and I don't know because I'm not a historian of the Regency era, Edwardian era, but it feels to me that to her, the bottom line is her kids get society and have fun and get married. And it doesn't matter how. And we don't know, but I would love, and I'm sure that there is a fanfic of how Mr. Bennett and Mrs. Bennett got together, but I'd like to think that it was something similar to Lydia and Wickham, where he was blinded by lust and like... (laughs) wanted her, married her, and then realized afterwards, like, she's very silly. And, like, I do I want to be married to someone this shallow and silly for the rest of my life? But in the eyes of, like, society and the type of society that Jane and Lizzie especially want to move in, that is completely just unacceptable. So it's interesting.
0: Yeah. So then Wickham and Lydia arrive back, and Kitty is obviously glaring at Wickham the whole time. There was one point during the dinner where I couldn't hear it, but the subtitles said, "Tell Kitty to stop glaring at Mr. Wickham," which I liked. I don't know who said it, but I'm glad that it was there. They have dinner. I noticed that Wickham is wearing a blue coat, and in the book is a red coat, right?
2: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: in the movie it's a red coat for most of it. I think it's just
0: like is it wedding attire? Oh, maybe. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, maybe it's not as important. I was like, why did they switch?
2: Does he? I'm trying to think in the miniseries if he comes with a different coat. I think it's still a red coat. Yeah. I
0: don't remember. But
2: they do say that they had to buy him a regiment up north. So he obviously gets kicked out oh, of Colonel yeah. Foster's regiment. Oh, obviously. Yeah. So it could also be that maybe. I don't know why maybe, they would yeah. have a different uniform, but maybe it's supposed to signify that he's not going to be in the same regimen. Mm-hmm.
0: That makes sense. I really liked this scene, actually. I think that we didn't... Because they really diminished the Wickham plotline in this movie, we didn't need more than this scene, which is where, like, everything that would have happened in the rest of the show all happened overlapping at the dinner table, which I didn't mind. We have Mr. Bennett telling Kitty that she can't go visit. We have... Mary saying that North England boasts splendid scenery, which I really liked. And then we have Lydia talking to Lizzie about everything with her aunt going on and on, being annoying. Lizzie's like, duh, like, can't you see why? And then Lydia tells the story about how Mr. Gardner was almost late and thank God he wasn't or else Mr. Darcy would have had to give her away. (gasps) Oh, that was a secret. Oops.
2: (laughs) So I have a very, to me, it's not small, but it is a nitpicky thing. She says, um, I wrote it down, He, um, when Lizzie asked why was Mr. Darcy there, she says he was the one who discovered us. But Lizzie, or Lydia would never say that because Lydia doesn't think that they needed to be discovered. She doesn't believe that they did anything wrong. So the way in which she explains Darcy's being there is like the way in which the writer wants the audience to understand mm. it, but not the way in which Lydia, the character, would explain it. And... I hate it because it makes it feel like we're dumb. I'm not dumb. (laughs)
0: Well, you're so right. I had not thought about that, but you're so right. That also makes Lydia seem more malicious than she is. Yeah, she, she never even... I mean, that's the whole thing. Like, we on this podcast are big Lydia supporters in that like defenders I'd say defenders that's I was gonna say um I don't know what word I was looking for but it was not supporters we are big Lydia defenders in that we should always blame the predator and Lydia is 15 and just wanted to have a good time this movie is not kind to her however good Jenna Malone's performances which it is yeah. and I liked like the moment where she like switches her wine out with Lizzie so that she can have more wine. Yeah. But yeah, you're so right. The way she describes that whole situation. It reminded me when she said, oh, that was a secret. I forgot. I was like, the way she said it reminded me of how, <laughs> this is like so unrelated, but how C-3PO is like in the room in episode four of Star Wars and Luke's like, C-3PO, turn off all the garbage disposers on the attention level, turn them all off. And then R2's like, what about your comm? And he's like, oh, my comm, like, I forgot. I turned it off. And then he turns it on and he's like, turn them all off. Not related at all, but the way she was like, oh, I forgot. He wasn't supposed to be there. <laughs> Uh, I'm a big nerd. So before Wickham and Lydia leave, Lizzie is standing, first of all, wearing an excellent sweater vest that I'm sure does not fit the time period at all. No, no, not. But she's standing and Wickham comes by her and looks at her. And it's like, "Uh," because he doesn't even know that she knows. And she's not telling him that she knows. And they just stare at each other. And it's like, (laughs) where? She's not even mean to him. No,
2: no not at all but there's also like not a big sense of they show that lizzie was attracted to wickham but they don't really go that deep into their like early flirtation because like you said like he's barely in the movie but it's my favorite it's it's literally one of my favorite parts of the 95 miniseries in which like wickham (laughs) comes to lizzie one more time trying to like feed her some story and she's just like, let's not fight. We're family now, but I know you're full of crap. You know, you're full of crap. (laughs) Like, Stop talking to me. It's one of my, I wish they would have included it just because it also goes to just show like how kind of how much like her father Lizzie can be like, she's very like witty and like she can insult without like being openly insulting, but also like just kind of shows how manipulative and gross Wickham is.
1: Absolutely. I wonder if there's like a, trove of deleted scenes somewhere of just this entire plot. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Joe Wright, where are you at? Joe Wright, if you want to come on this podcast. Tell us about your decisions. Sorry about all that stuff I said about
2: Pemberley. (laughs) Not sorry. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry about anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Mrs. Bennett genuinely seems sad to see Lydia go and Lizzie gives her a hug, which was a nice little moment between them. Then They jump to town, and some random guy tells them that Bingley's back in town. This is something that Mrs. Phillips was supposed to tell them, but they obviously cut Mrs. Phillips, so it's just this random dude in town who looks, like, very disheveled, and I was (laughs) unclear on this, why he was there.
2: Everyone looks disheveled in this movie. How could you tell? You're
0: right. Everyone is disheveled. (laughs) That's the aesthetic. So then, and Mrs. Bennett says her thing, like, uh, that's great. Not that we care. And Jane says that she's just glad he's there without his sister, because that means they probably won't see him very much. And that is the end of that scene, as I have broken it up.
1: And that brings me to my study question, which we kind of covered. But I think that this, the end of the Lydia plot is so different here. It's bears mentioning how it changes the story entirely, which in my brain is because the Lydia Wickham marriage is a deep tragedy that was just slightly better than the tragedy that would have befallen otherwise.
0: Yeah, they don't show the time passing in this this version, so we don't get to see the full panic rise when it's like we don't know if she's getting married or not. Like, we don't know what fate is going to befall her. And so because we didn't get that rise, we don't get the resolution either. It's just kind of like a write-off for me.
1: And we also don't get any of the Bennett sisters' reputation's already starting to plummet
2: yeah do we get like mr collins letter and voiceover or if we even get that we don't get that at all
0: my favorite part of the 95 yeah
2: it's also like they're the they're all of the gossip that's surrounding them while they're still searching for lydia i think one of the other things that i really like about the lydia wickham storyline or plotline is that in the miniseries. and i'm sorry i keep comparing but greatness versus this but um yeah <laughs> the miniseries does a really good job of doing this with like the wedding scene and the voiceover is that what you're supposed to extrapolate is that Lydia and Wickham go off to have a marriage kind of similar to Mr. and Mrs. Bennett's where they can't respect each other Lydia's very silly and then as she gets older because she's still a kid is unhappily married Wickham feels like he's stuck and settled and not living you know He's married now, so he doesn't have, like, the life that he wanted. And so you kind of are supposed to... It's supposed to kind of illustrate why propriety is important and why, like, a happy marriage is something that it's right for Lizzie to want to hold on to and and strive for.
1: Yeah, I agree. I would argue that it's even more tragic than the Bennetts' marriage because, like, she'll be destitute. Wickham has no money.
2: And has no way of keeping money. He's the... I was watching something when I was um, going through this, and, like, Wickham blew... Before we even meet him, when Darcy's father died, he inherited 1,000 pounds. And then Darcy gave him 3,000 pounds instead of taking over, like, the church or going to become a vicar. And then he has, when we meet him, he has all of these debts that they have to discharge. And he gets back into the militia, which is probably, like, you know, 1,000, maybe less than that, pounds a year. But, like, it's implied that Darcy pays him a 10,000 pounds to marry Lydia, but also paid him to leave Georgiana alone. Mm-hmm. And he's run through all of this money. He
1: clearly has like gambling, gambling addiction, addiction and yeah, alcoholism. I think like opium for sure. Yeah. And prostitutes. And like the being his wife, no matter how in denial you are, is going to be an abject misery. And it's. You know, this version kind of does gloss over that because again, the whole Wicca plotline is glossed over.
0: They don't even bring it up at all. I mean, it's never, he seems like a very upstanding man aside from being kind of a bad actor and and a liar wanting money <laughs> uh, they don't talk about any of this at all to the point where because I've watched this six times when you brought up the fact that he's spent all of his money I was like I forgot that he's a gambler and like that was a huge part of the story and they just totally left it yeah we
2: find out in between when they're looking for Wickham and Lydia how many debts he has in Meriton. he's only been there a couple of months how many like of the shopkeeper's daughters he's meddled with is how I think she says it mm-hmm. and so so yeah it's not a happy marriage for Lydia at all and then I always got like the idea of like once Wickham cannot rely on his charm he's also like could possibly be pretty dangerous like abusive and like you don't know that for sure but it's kind of something that I've always had in my brain when I read the book Mm -hmm. and so it's just another thing about and also Lydia again is a gentleman's daughter but she'll never be able to be in society like they get shunted off. And like the way that she got married, all of the rumors surrounding their marriage, like Lizzie and Jane rise above that and like hopefully are able to not carry that stain. But the only way that they can really do that is by separating from her completely. I will say, watch Death at Pemberley slash Read Death at Pemberley. It's, um, it made it into a mini series, two-parter or something. It's on the list, I promise. <laughs> I love that. But there's no way that. Darcy's inviting Wickham and Lydia into his home.
1: I do think the epilogue in Pride and Prejudice says that Bingley and Jane do invite them over sometimes, but they're so nice. Yeah. And even they are like, how do we kick them out? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, a travesty. I never thought that I would be saying, I wish that we had more Wickham in this, but. I do. <laughs> so then we get on to the next scene with Darcy and Bingley approaching Longbourn. Gonna go out on a limb and say this is my favorite part in the like
1: this half of the movie.
2: It's really cute. Yeah. It's
1: adorable.
2: It's got nothing to do with the story. No. But in this alternative universe, it's very adorable. Yeah. Yes, it
0: is. So they're approaching, and inside, everyone is lounging in disarray. We zoom in on like Mrs. Bennett's really dirty shoes like they're covered in mud just everything they they really want us to think and also I was watching it uh, again today and I had my headphones on and at various parts throughout the film there were like flies buzzing as part of the soundscape and I was like there probably aren't flies in their house like please I mean if there's a pig in their house (laughs) I mean
1: there probably are because there are flies in every house but like
0: yeah but not specifically there (laughs) not so much that like it's part of the soundscape but anyway so Everyone's like lounging, eating. It's a mess. And then Kitty runs in and she's like, Mr. Bailey is here. And Mrs. Bennett screams, act natural. Don't appear overbearing. And I thought that was very funny. Like this scene cracks me up. They all run around cleaning. Kitty's like, oh, who's that with him? It's what's his name? The pompous one from before. (laughs) And Lizzie's like, (gasps) I love every single time I hear Kitty go, it's what's its name? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah in the book it's in the 95 it's in this one it's the best line in the, m- the whole thing so. it might be the best line in the book
2: <laughs> that tall man that was with him the last time
0: yes that tall man <laughs> they're like throwing ribbons around the room trying to clean it's just pure chaos and then by the time Bingley and Darcy come in they are like all sitting very prim and proper and they all stand up at once and then it's just a train wreck from there <laughs> Mrs. Bennet just talks over him and doesn't let him get a word in, and just gives her him all the updates on her life. And poor Bingley is just so—he's just stricken. Flummoxed. Yeah, he's flummoxed. <laughs> His face is like, "This isn't what I intended to have happen." And Lizzie is trying to save the situation. She like tries to ask how long he's going to be there. She asks Mister Darcy if he's well, and then he says he's leaving the next day, and she's like, "So soon." And we can, like, see that she's sad about it. Yeah. And then he just, like, panic runs.
2: Yeah, he's like, bye.
0: Yeah, he's like, uh, we have to be going. Bye. And then Mrs. Bennet tries to invite him over for dinner, and he, like, just nods, and then he looks like he's gonna throw up, and he runs away. (laughs) And Mr. Darcy's like, uh excuse me and then he leaves too and then mrs bennett is like that was very strange it's like no you were very strange (laughs) and then it's the best scene this is my favorite part i think it's incredible again it has nothing to do with anything but i thought it was a really nice touch with bingley pacing back and forth by a lake by the lake the lake that's by their house i guess they have a lake. Yes. And Bingley is, like, going over. He was like, oh, I was supposed to say, how are you doing? It was, like, something <laughs> like that. And
1: he's like, oh, I'm Jane. Like, play yeah. of me.
0: <laughs> Darcy plays Jane. He's like, Miss Bennet, Mr. Bingley. And they, like, are going back and forth. And I liked this moment. Bingley was like, so I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to say it. And Darcy goes, yeah, just say it. Exactly. Because... That's what Darcy did. He walked in and he said <laughs> everything that he had planned out when he was ready to propose to Elizabeth. My favorite thing is the gall of Darcy helping
1: somebody else prepare a proposal like <laughs> he was successful.
2: <laughs> oh, my God. I will say, too, the first proposal in this movie, the first proposal, I, I, it's very hard to not do well for me because it's just so, it's so, like, it's written perfectly by Jane Austen that, like, you don't have to change much. And if you change to, like... It's great. But he walk. he stomps in and he talks at the speed of light. And then they start fighting and they're talking so fast that it's always really jarring to me. So it is doubly hilarious that he's like, yeah, just say it. Like, say it in a, a cadence in which someone can understand. Like, slow down. And don't yell it at talk, her. Yeah. Don't yell. Yeah. <laughs> Less is more. (laughs) Yeah, Darcy
0: can't be giving advice. It's like Bingley should also know this because I'm sure that Darcy told him by this point what has happened. It's just very funny. It's okay, Darcy. I don't know how to propose to someone either. Hey, everyone. It's Molly. Interrupting to bring you a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Story Brewers Roleplaying. Their award-winning Jane Austen tabletop roleplaying game, Good Society, is on Kickstarter until the end of today. That's Tuesday, March 9th. The link to their Kickstarter is in our show notes, so be sure to back their reprint to secure your copy of the game. Or if you missed the Kickstarter, head on over to their website at storybrewersroleplaying.com to pre-order your copy. And while you're at it, follow them on Twitter at at StoryBrewers. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host, Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love in Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. So then while that's happening, we jump back to the girls in the drawing room and Lizzie is talking to Jane about how Bingley's still so in love with her. And Jane is like, oh, well, I'm sorry he came with Mr. Darcy. And then we get Lizzie trying to tell Jane what happened. She's like, oh, don't say that. And Jane's like, what do you mean? And Lizzie's like, I've been so blind. But the thing is, I don't feel like in this movie, we got enough of a shift from her for this to be earned with like tears in her eyes being like, I've been so blind. I didn't see like he was so obvious the whole time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And we've talked about that a little bit already. Like Lizzie's processing of the proposal, how it wasn't exactly what it was in the book here. And this is their attempt, which is fine. So then Bingley comes back. And he barges in and he's like, I'm sorry, I have to speak to Jane. He
1: like really built up to it.
0: Yeah, I was really proud of our boy. Right
1: before he went in, Darcy was like rubbing his shoulders like, you got this, buddy. Got this.
0: Got this. Yeah, I really like this Bingley side note. I remember we talked about which Bingley I was going to like more and how I didn't think that anything could surpass the other Bingley. But they're both good in their own rights. Yeah, they really are. Uh, This one
1: is wild to me because he was I've said this before he was Octavian in Rome who's like one of those kids who like kills kittens for fun
2: <laughs> and then he comes in and it's like the sweetest little awkward man
0: yeah like a little little bean he is a bean especially in this so everybody leaves and Bingley comes over to Jane and he says first I must tell you that I have been the most unmitigated and comprehensive ass And I loved that for him.
2: Yeah. Just own up to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I I
0: also like that we get to like actually see the proposal because
1: in the book, Lizzie just walks in and they're standing in the doorway. (laughs) Right.
0: Although we don't get to see the whole proposal. We get to see that and we get to see him go down on one knee. And then we see everybody listening at the door and we see Donald Sutherland come in and like listen at the door with them. And then we go into Jane sobbing and saying a thousand times yes, which I think is Shakespeare. Did I make that up? Is that? shakespeare maybe not i'm looking at it
2: sounds it sounds right.
0: yeah it it might be just something that people say but i don't think that this movie invented it that's all i gotta say about that no it certainly did not no
1: oh but i looked up a thousand times yes and the first thing that popped up was this
0: scene well dang that might be my algorithm yeah (laughs) (laughs) well listeners if you're a shakespeare buff let us know if shakespeare wrote that line if not you can yell at my Shakespeare teachers for me. So then everybody's very happy, except for Lizzie, who walks away and goes to brood by a tree, and she's sad, and Darcy's in the middle of the field again, and he's sad, too. His bangs are stupid. I know we've already talked about the hair, but his hair is, like, in his face and, like, very stringy, and it's take a shower. So
2: unkempt. Uh, Mr. Darcy would never. He would never. Ever.
1: I mean... We, we did a little research on this and Darcy in the time period would probably have been wearing a powdered wig.
2: Yes, which, you know, not the best fashion, but at least it looks fancy. Right. He should always look fancy. That's true. It would look silly, sure. But like, no, 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 no. The Greatest, which is on Hulu now, it's like kind of set in like... With Nick Holt? Yes, with Nick Holt. Love of my life. One of the many loves of my life. Sasha Dewan is in a wig most of the time. And he looks adorable. It's not powdered, but still. Nicholas Holt puts on a powdered wig every once in a while. And it looks silly, but adorable. Except he's the worst.
0: And I love a good powdered
2: wig.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough.
2: If the costume design wanted to make a powdered wig work, they could make it work. Fair enough. Yeah. The shaggy hair, they could not make work. That's true. But it was it was
1: 2005 and we all thought that was correct.
0: That's true. I mean, I was trying to rag on his hair the other day when we were recording. I realized that I have his hair right now, but that's not my fault. That's the fault of the fact that I'm in quarantine and I got a haircut like several months ago. And I
2: bent to differ. I'm looking at you right now. It's brush. That's
0: true. His hair is not brush. It may not be
2: the length that you want. Sure. But it's not just like wispy. You're
0: right. Thank you. Thank you. I did better than Mr. Darcy, so that's what I can say for myself today. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. This is the... ah, This part of the movie, I was, like, screaming for the rest of the movie. So, we go through the windows, and we see Mr. and Mrs. Bennett talking about how happy they are. And I could see some real love in their relationship, which I appreciated. Though I know that it's not, like... I hated. You know, (laughs) I know.
2: (laughs) I was like, oh, look, they're in love. That's such (laughs) bullcrap. Oh, boy.
0: I've always thought that they have a steamy relationship. So I liked seeing that (laughs) represented here. But I understand and appreciate that point of view. Then we jump to Mary and Kitty's room. Now, is this implying that Kitty, Mary, and Lydia all shared a bedroom in this giant fucking house?
2: Yeah, because they're poor.
0: I hope it implies that. Lydia got her own bedroom.
2: As the favorite. Yeah. <laughs> the youngest child gets their own bedroom. Exactly. That was
0: so terrible. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I've actually never thought about where Mary sleeps because in the nineteen ninety-five it was pretty clear that Lydia and Kitty shared a room. But Mary was never around They gave her a closet. She was fine. Uh, well she is <laughs> in the closet in our headcanon. So Exactly. <laughs> and in their room. Mary is reading Fordyce's sermons, I'm pretty sure, which I thought was a nice little nod to the beginning and also the book. Then we jump to Lizzie and Jane talking about how happy Jane is and how she wishes the same for Lizzie. And then in the middle of the fucking night when they're all in their pajamas.
1: I don't know who made this call. Who
2: did this? I
1: don't know if this was the
0: screenwriter, the director. I don't know what happened. They ran out of daylight. I don't know. They've already thrown away all sense of decorum like we've talked about. They don't follow any social rules in this movie, but like, damn, nobody comes to do that. But they're
1: not even following like our social rules with this
0: one. Yeah. Right, Lady Catherine lives far away.
2: Wild in any time period like it, it <laughs> any this is inappropriate at any time period
0: yeah also okay M-Miles, do you want let the listeners know exactly what we're yes. talking about. Oh, I'm sorry. Listeners, Lady Catherine arrives in a carriage in the middle of the night to talk to Elizabeth. And
2: just bangs on the door.
0: She just comes in and they're all like in their pajamas and they're like, what are you doing here? And she is berating them about, first of all, she asks about them. Then when they tell her who they are and like what each daughter is up to, she's like, you have a very small garden. I'm like, what? But, okay, but in any other context, Dame Judi Dench delivers this scene flawlessly. I just like to imagine that it's not in the middle of the night and that she was in a different movie because she did a good job. It is such a shame.
2: It's such a... Because, like, Lady Hazard is supposed to be pompous and self-important. And had she shown up in the morning, which is what happens in the book, it's there, like, sitting down to eat breakfast, it just fits so much more. But, like, in this point, like, they're all standing around... They're all confused. They're in their night clothes. And then she's like, let's take a turn about the garden. Like it's midnight. No. What? No.
0: Yeah. Okay. This also brings up something that I asked when we read the book. And then when we watched the 95, but it brings it up into even more light here, because who started this rumor that told her, I don't know, maybe it takes like an hour to get from Rosings to Longbourn. Like, Who told her at 11 p.m. and she was like, I got to go right now. How did that happen? Timing wise, like where did this rumor come from and why is it coming out now? It doesn't make sense to me. Darcy hasn't been home yet. My headcanon is Fitzy (laughs) through letters.
2: My headcanon has always been Georgiana talking to Anne, Mm. just like gossiping with her cousin because like Georgiana doesn't get to like have correspondence with very many people. But why would Anne tell her mom at like midnight?
0: (laughs) Right. Mm, But that that makes sense to me, because I remember in the book, it was implied that or maybe this was just what we decided. We thought that maybe it was Charlotte and Collins brought it up. Well, Collins
1: at the time, Charlotte was more in the know about what was happening with Darcy and Lizzie. Like she at least sensed something was going on. And Collins writes a letter to Mr. Bennett advising against the match.
2: Oh, right. Yeah. Right. That happens in the book, but Lizzie wouldn't have told Charlotte. You know what I mean? So Charlotte might have said something like, oh, I think that Mr. Darcy is interested in Lizzie or something like that.
0: Right. Because she thought that the whole time. And
2: then Collins took it truthfully. But I don't know. I guess it does make sense. But it just feels like I was going to say it feels like Lady Catherine de Bourgh wouldn't believe that. But. Why not? She's bored. She has nothing else to do.
0: Right. I feel like it's it's the kind of thing that would stress her out enough that she's like, all right, I got to go do that. But like, again, not at 11 p.m. This just yeah. doesn't make sense.
1: And it is such a shame because Judy Dench really does come in with that scathing precision and overpowering demeanor. And if they just put it in the
0: daytime scene
1: would be incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
0: One of my favorite parts was as soon as she comes in, Mr. Bennett's like, can I offer you a cup of tea? And she goes, absolutely not. I thought that was great. (laughs) The camera work during this was also a little absurd. First of all, the camera person was drunk, I think, because it was like wobbling all over the place on their faces, which I didn't notice the first few times. But when I was just watching it this afternoon, <laughs> you've watched this too many times. <laughs> <laughs> when I was watching it this afternoon, I was like, I'm dizzy. Like the camera was like, like something's happening. And then it would like super zoom on her face. And she's like, you selfish girl. And it's like onto her face. It was just very weird. Other than all of that, the scene Would have been really awesome. Also, this scene gives us an idea or gives Lizzie an idea of where Darcy got these ideas from that were inserted into his proposal. So that was a nice touch. And then Lady Catherine leaves, and Lizzie is really sad, and her family tries to ask her what's wrong. And she says, Just leave me alone, and runs upstairs. And that is the end of that scene, which brings us to the final scene. And honestly, The movie could have ended after this first bit, but it keeps going a little bit extra. So yes, it does. (laughs) Lizzie can't sleep. It's starting to get light outside. So she decides to go for a walk because she's Elizabeth Bennett and she's not like other girls. (laughs) And she's wearing this like this cardigan. It's like very hipster and like it has like slits down the edges. So it's like if you spun, it would spin out. (laughs) It looks like a thrift store purchase for Brooklyn.
2: Yes, very. Yeah.
0: Now. A comment on the mist. So, yes, in the morning, it can be misty. That's totally normal. But mist does not, like, shoot out of the ground as if there's (laughs) steam rising out of a vent in the ground, which is absolutely, like, there are absolutely little fog machines. It does
1: not billow behind someone wearing
0: a robe. Yeah, it doesn't shoot up right in the spots where they're walking and then fade away. It was so someone was very happy on their fog machine.
2: What is with the robes? in like why why who decided that wearing a robe is the height of romance <laughs> for Elizabeth and and Darcy? That is their aesthetic as a couple.
0: It billows in the wind. It's cozy. <laughs> it's intimate. They're both in their night clothes.
2: White nightgowns and flowing robes. Yeah. I hate it.
1: I just I like the The image of Mr. Darcy Fitzwilliam, if you will, walking through the field with the fog behind him at sunrise and his robe or cloak or whatever it is billowing out around him and the wind blowing in his hair. It is the stupidest thing
2: in this movie.
0: It doesn't make any sense. And when
2: you type in Pride and Prejudice in the gift machine, that's the gift that comes up. And that is why I am worried for the future of humanity. Yeah,
0: that's upsetting.
2: People love that.
0: It's upsetting because, first of all, Lady Catherine coming in the middle of the night didn't make any sense. And it also wouldn't make any sense that Darcy already knows that she has been there and decided at 5 a.m. to come walking the three miles from Netherfield to come talk to Lizzie about it. Like, he doesn't know that she's awake. He doesn't know that she's going to be out in the field too. Like, what was he going to do? Knock on the fucking door? Go stand outside of her room like Edward Cullen? Like, what was he going to do? Why is he there? Listeners
1: who love this movie, I will say, I know it's pretty. I get it, it's pretty. It's it's a pretty scene and there's good music in it, but no one can convince me it makes any sense.
0: Let me talk about the music for a second. So I wish I had words, like, I wish I knew things about composition to be able to talk about the music here because it's the theme song and it's not in a minor key, but it's in like, and it was already in a major key, I think, but it's like in a major key, like a half step up so that it like, I don't, fuck, I don't know. I think it's up a third. Sure. But I don't remember it exactly. It sounds like the beginning of something. Like the music here is so... Good. And if you took the music away, this movie leans so heavily on the music to evoke the mood of a scene that if you took this music away, this scene would be so uncomfortable to watch because it's just him walking through the field for like five minutes straight and her staring at him. And it's so weird.
2: I hate this whole scene. I hate it. Why is he in a bathrobe? The mist is, I mean, cool, evoke a mood, I guess. Is it romantic? Is that it? Is it what's happening? Is that what How is that romantic? It's stalkerish. It's not...
0: It's not romantic. It's
2: weird. It's not romantic. And then he just starts talking. He doesn't say hello. He starts in the middle of a thought. It's so strange. Did they text each other? Right. On cell phones? Did they text and say, let's meet by the gazebo? In 1790? Like, what? Yeah. Yeah.
0: So he says he wants to apologize to her. She's like, no, I should be the one to apologize. They don't really explain what they're what they're talking about. But then he does the whole quote from the book where he's like, I'll be silenced on the subject forever, etc. And then he continues and he says this thing that people on Instagram... I follow a lot of Pride and Prejudice meme Instagram accounts and they love... You have bewitched me, body and soul. I love, love, love you. Like they... Love that shit. And I was like, what? <laughs> However, I do like his little stutter. I thought that was cute.
2: The stutter doesn't bother me so much, but it's in the book. And like you have Bewitched Me, Body and Soul. It's like... That is in the book? I believe so. Oh, I-,
1: I didn't think it was in the book. Ooh. Here. I can I can kindle it, actually. Yeah, that's I can... what I I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure this line's not in the book.
2: Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just become so ingrained and in... I
1: thought it was one of those like those lines that just was so iconic that it was yeah
2: it might be no it's not it's not in the book so yeah it's, a, it's original line
1: yeah and I I actually I'm not usually a fan of like adding in old-timey sounding lines when they're not from the original text but this line actually gets me a little bit I like it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm a little bit of a sap for it.
2: It's fine.
0: I mean, I'm not going to say that it didn't evoke any emotions in me. I just thought it stood out like a sore thumb because Jane Austen didn't say things like Bewitched. That's very Shakespearean. Like, it didn't sound like part of this story. It's like, because English people in that time didn't talk like Shakespeare wrote. And so to add in a very Shakespearean sounding sentence is strange to me. However, it was I again, I liked his little stutter like he every time he says, I love you, he like acts like, oops, did I say that? So he like actually really worked hard to get it out this time the right way, the way he wanted it, which I liked.
2: Yeah, it's also to me, it just feels very heavy handed. And it go- again, it goes with like them really forcing this as a romance like, strict, pure, love-at-first-sight romance, which it was not. Like, she didn't bewitch him body and soul. Like, Mm -mm. she frustrated him. Mm -hmm. He was, like, tried to be indifferent to her, and then she intrigued him, and then, like, it was a very slow burn. (laughs)
0: Like... Absolutely. And then they ruined the whole thing. Anything that they could have had with me, they lost, because she says, well then, takes his hand, kisses it, and says... Your hands are cold! Your hands are cold!
1: That they stole straight from West Side Story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And also cold hands, yours too. Big, Big. Like my father. Like my father. All right. We can't we can't say anymore. We're gonna have to pay for that song. I'm sorry. So that they stole that from like literally every cliche. And it was so dumb. And then the sun coming through behind them, very pretty. And anyway, the movie could have ended there. But then they they kept going.
2: It did.
1: I'm gonna defend this scene just a little bit more just because the shot of him coming through the mist, I'm not gonna defend. That's stupid. But when they are standing there, I agree the hands cold thing is dumb. But I like the idea that he like he feels like sort of bewitched by her, like he's ensnared in her and he can't shake her. But also, it's just, I'm a sucker for this chemistry between these two. Fair. And the lighting and the aesthetic, it's it's one of those scenes where like the aesthetic does get to me a little bit, like the, the like prettiness of it. So that's all I'll say.
0: It is super pretty. The music is good. The lighting is good. The sunset is, I'm sorry, sunrise, because this is 5 a.m. I forgot. <laughs> that's all good. And they're both really hot and... If I was straight, I would definitely have a crush on Matthew McFadden. So there's that, I guess.
2: I had a crush on Matthew McFadden until this movie. Mm. (laughs) Oh, damn. Killed it dead. Wait,
1: what did you have a crush on him in?
2: I really love, so I also really love, like, Procedurals. And he starred in this spy show called MI5. And he was in the first couple of seasons. Got it. And then he was replaced, get this. By Rupert Penry Jones, who plays Captain Wentworth in like the 2005 Persuasion. Oh, wow. um, and then he was replaced by Richard Armitage, who plays Homeboy from North and South. It was great. It's just like a, all the leads.
1: I remember Homeboy from North and South. Yeah. And Thor and Oak and Shield. And he
2: was also, he's been in a couple of other like British things and I've loved him, but he's always like, play like straight cut, nerdy, but charming and goofy and then they had him in this role and I have never looked at him the same.
1: Damn. I, I disagree. I enjoy him. I think he's cute <laughs> in this.
2: I want to enjoy him again. I mean, and I probably could. I, I mean, When I go back and I watch MI5, I enjoy him all over again. And I don't remember him as Mr. Darcy, but. He's
1: just got those big blue eyes. He does.
0: The eyes are nice. Earnestness. earnestness. Yeah. Yeah. So then we have to get Mr. Bennett's permission, right? So he's in there, Lizzie's outside the room, and then he comes out of the room and Lizzie goes in and she's like looking at him through the door like, ooh, you say goodbye first. No, you say goodbye first. And then she closes the door. And I really liked this scene. I know that we're not all the biggest fans of this Daddy Bennett, but I really liked it. And again, I thought he would be a really good Dumbledore. But maybe I can't discern accents that aren't, like, very specific. (laughs) Like, a Russian accent, I know what it is. Like, a Scottish accent, I know what it is. But I don't know. Anyway, so this is the scene in which she says, but, you know, we were wrong about him. He's not proud. And I was like, he is proud proud. He was proud, but it's okay. We need to wrap this all up in a nice neat bow because it's 2005 and that's what people want to see. So that's what we did. She tells him what Darcy did. And while she's telling him, we jump outside to Darcy, like pacing and all the girls staring at him and then being like, I thought she hated him, which I thought was cute. What I like about this part as well is that one of the things that
1: kind of gets cut from this version is Daddy Bennett's reckoning when Lydia runs off. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And what I like here is that he does find out that Darcy paid him off and you get to see that emotion on him of like, oh, shit, I failed my girls.
0: Yeah. But he doesn't say it explicitly as he does in the actual book, which is a disappointment. Yeah, it's it's a bit more
1: implied here, but I I think it's it's important to get some of it in.
0: Yes. And I did like also that he cries when Lizzie says that she loves him and when he realizes that she really does. And they have this beautiful moment and he, you know, he says all the lines from the book, but I just thought that they did have a really nice connection in this scene. And she's his favorite, so that fits and I and I really liked it. And I thought he did a good job. And then we jump to Pemberley. (laughs) I feel like we have three takes on this scene here Molly say your take well I'll tell you what happens first of all Darcy's dressed like a peasant like he's wearing cut off shorts and a baggy shirt (laughs) what's (laughs) happening and she's wearing his jacket I'm pretty sure it's just like they must have been banging
1: yes that's the implication okay
0: good I hadn't thought of it (laughs) until this very moment but like she's wearing his coat he's not wearing anything and they're sitting on a table i think <laughs> it's unclear the water is very pretty everything's like you know how it is and he calls her he asks how she's doing tonight my dear and she's like oh don't call me my dear and he's like okay what can i call you and she says lizzie for every day my pearl for sundays and goddess divine only on various special occasions and mr darcy asks what he should call her when he's cross mrs darcy and she says no, only when you are completely and perfectly and incandescently happy. And he says, how are you this evening, Mrs. Darcy? And then he kisses her on the forehead. And then he says, Mrs. Darcy, and kisses her on each part of her face. When says, Mrs. Darcy, in between each one. And and I hated it the first time I watched it. But then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, my God. Yes, you can call me Mrs. Darcy and kiss me on the nose. And I will take it. I loved it. But, like, I hated it, but I loved it.
1: Yeah, I think hate and love at the same time is a very... Apt way for me to describe it. I'm gonna go out of the limb and guess how Robin feels.
2: (laughs) It was so wonderful. I loved it so much. I I hate it. I hate it. I I hate hate every minute of it. Oh man! And not that like there is not a way in which you can't do like the happily ever after or whatever. But like, why are they outside? Why do they look like this? Like, (laughs) (laughs) Ah, why do they look like this? Why couldn't they do that in a bedroom? And also, like. It feels very in character for Lizzie to be like witty. And it feels very in character for Darcy to be like sappy and in love, I guess. But the words they... I,
0: it's mm. like, when did they get good at talking to each other? Like, I
2: can see why they did it. Like, they were almost... I can i see what they were going for. It didn't, it didn't work for me. Mostly because why are they dressed like... This? Like, the part about it being a movie is that it doesn't matter what they're saying at a certain point when the visuals are so offensive to me that I cannot focus <laughs> mm-hmm. on what's being said. Mm-hmm. So I never got to the point where that turned from cheesy to lovely. I just seethed.
1: Mm-hmm. See, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think it's, it's a ridiculous scene in a lot of ways. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> they're sitting on a balcony in the middle of Peta Like, clearly post-coital. And having this really cheesy, weird, intimate moment where he's just going, Mrs. Darcy, Mrs. Darcy, Mrs. Darcy. That being said, I'm into it because it's sexy, specifically because they have so much chemistry.
0: (laughs) They do have very good chemistry, though I don't know, like, do Lizzie and Darcy have that much chemistry? They've been awkward this entire movie and don't know how to talk to each other, but now they do.
1: (laughs) No, it's clearly the actors. Right.
0: And because in this adaptation, we didn't get the whole let's talk about everything that's happened between us and right all of the wrongs and all of the misunderstandings and like discuss it in detail. Like we don't get to see the shift between them not knowing how to talk to each other and knowing how to talk to each other. But it still makes me grin like a big idiot. Like both. Both are true. I think it's so weird. And also I like it. So hot. (laughs) Yeah. All right, guys, I want to
1: congratulate both of you. We made it to the end of this movie. (laughs) And the end of Pride and Prejudice.
2: I never have to watch this again. Congratulations to you guys.
1: Congratulations. You are not done talking about it, though, because we still have to do the final (laughs) Becca study questions.
0: I do just want to say, when I asked Robin to come on the show, (laughs) your response was, oh, no, now I have to watch the movie again. (laughs) 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 Oh, my God.
1: Every time we do an adaptation, we have to have one person on who hates it. This is incredible. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So first study question. Favorite line delivery in the movie?
2: Oh, this is great. So I said, well, then your hands are cold (laughs) because it is a moment in which I go, what the? That's my least favorite. I literally can't go past it. So it's really the moment, the reason why I like it is because I'm struggling through this movie the whole time, trying, trying to give it the benefit of the doubt, Mm -hmm. and that just nails the coffin that this is terrible, and then I don't have to care anymore. Maybe that's why the end... Doesn't hit me at all. Cause by the time she says, well then your hands are cold. I've checked out.
1: <laughs> you go into a state of
2: like dissonance. <laughs> yeah, I've disassociated. I'm no longer here. I'm like out of body.
0: That's so funny because that's what I put for my least favorite line because, uh, or my least favorite part of the whole thing, because I was like, This is <laughs> so bad. My favorite line delivery. I had a few options, and I think that. None of them are really good because I I didn't like this part of the movie. This half was just so absurd compared to the first half where there was a lot of good stuff going on. I put in something by Lady Catherine de Berg, perhaps. But ultimately, I think I'll have to go with first. I must tell you that I have been the most unmitigated and comprehensive ass because that encapsulates so much of like Bingley's whole thing. And like he's acknowledging that Darcy led him astray and that Caroline led him astray and that he didn't think for himself because he needs 12 opinions. And he's doing something for himself now. And I was proud of him. So that'll be my favorite line. You also wrote down my favorite line, which is, I could not have
1: parted with you to anyone less worthy.
0: I thought Donald Sutherland did a really good delivery of that line.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Next question. Notable change between the book and the movie. I'm going to say most notable because obviously there are so many changes.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, I had written down beforehand the Bennett's being poor and everyone looking atrocious. But talking (laughs) this through, I will say the minimizing of the Wickham storyline, which probably is like a big the foundation of why I don't like this adaptation. And I didn't like have the words to say it until we were going through it.
1: I'm here to help. It is it is a huge problem. And I said it the first time. I'm going to say it again. The lack of Wickham in this adaptation is a huge disadvantage to it.
0: I wholeheartedly agree. And again, I, I never thought I'd say that I wanted more of him. But the story is a completely different story without him. So that was when I first watched this movie. I obviously hated it because I had just finished the 95 and I sent out on Twitter asking for people who like this movie genuinely to tell me why. And a bunch of people said because they think of it as, like, outside of the story. Like, they think of it as its own movie. And because Wickham isn't there, it is its own movie. And it's, like, it's whole, it's a whole other thing. So... Yeah, I agree. Favorite and least favorite things in this movie? I'm going to say least favorites first. My least favorite was your hands
1: are
2: cold. <laughs> the bit of being poor and looking atrocious. The costuming overall. Even the people that looked good looked good because they were paired with people who looked atrocious.
1: Fair enough. Uh, mine is the statue of Darcy, for sure.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. It
0: has no pupils. It doesn't have pupils. Crazy. So, favorite. Thing in this part of the movie. Mine is the Bingley and Darcy practicing scene. Mine is also the Bingley and Darcy practicing scene.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I like that scene. It's cute.
0: It's cute, and there's nothing else to say for this part of the movie. Like,
2: yeah, it's cute. It's funny.
0: We had the disaster of Pemberley, we had the disaster of the weird sunrise proposal we had lady catherine in the middle of the night and we got this really sweet little nugget in the middle of bingley trying to propose to darcy <laughs> it was cute uh who wins this part of the movie
2: i will say the composers
1: yeah definitely a good pick
2: and like maybe the cinematographer because everyone that loved this movie talks to me about how beautiful it is in the soundtrack so yeah,
1: and uh, both of those things are very beautiful it's a, an enjoyable thing to watch in terms of the the in front of your eyes except the costumes
0: <laughs> yeah I think that we also said the cinema or not the cinema I think we also said the composer for the last part of the movie because the, honestly the music is just so good so I could agree with the composer I could also throw in a little win for Dame Judi Dench because she was cheated of a really awesome scene that could have been phenomenal. I was going to say Dame Judi Dench because I was going to go the opposite way, which is a
1: lesser actress could have tanked the movie then and there. Mm. Mm -hmm. But because she's so good, the movie in my mind still holds.
0: Yeah. uh, She's so she's just perfect. All right, guys, that concludes this episode
1: of Pot and Prejudice. And thus, this saga season one of Pride and Prejudice, Pod and Prejudice. Robin, thank you so much for joining us. This was delightful.
2: Thank you guys so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking about this movie and I (laughs) hope your listeners don't hate me too much for bashing it, but you know what? I'm honest.
1: I'll I'll say (laughs) this there is a reason we picked somebody who loved this movie to guest and somebody who hated this movie to guest. And that is because this movie is controversial in the Jane Austen fan dope, So it's important <laughs> to get all perspectives.
0: It is. And our listener base, I put out a poll on our Instagram for 1995 or 2005. And it was very neck and neck. But the 95 people were very vocal, and it did win by a by a hair. And they all messaged me, being like, "Oh my god, I cannot stand the 2005." Like, <laughs> Colin Firth stands go hard.
2: Yes, they do. He's perfect. He is. He is. So there's that.
1: so Robin do you want to tell the people where they can find you and either defend the movie or commiserate with you about the movie yeah you
2: can find me at blackgirlscreate.org and you can also find me on twitter mostly but everywhere else I believe at robin r-l-b-y-n underscore rambles and I will ramble about how much I hate this movie if you give me a chance
1: wonderful All right, listeners, thanks for sticking with us through this movie. Until next time, stay proper. And find yourself someone
0: who will practice proposing to you with their best friend. (laughs) Thanks for coming on this journey, fam. Bye. 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 This episode of Pod and Prejudice is sponsored by Story Brewers Roleplaying. Check out their award-winning Jane Austen tabletop roleplaying game, Good Society, at their website, storybrewersroleplaying.com. That's S-T-O-R-Y-B-R-E-W-E-R-S roleplaying.com. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our beautiful show art is designed by Torrance Brown. To learn more about our show and our team, you can check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you like what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com podandprejudice to see how you can support us or just drop us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.